Well, we're starting a new uh, series of messages this morning based on the seven churches from Revelation uh, chapter 2, beginning in Revelation, 20, uh, Revelation chapter 2. So the Apostle John has been exiled for many years on the prison island of Patmos. It's an exile island that they basically, when they cast you out, that's where you go. And John had this incredibly unique opportunity in which he was caught up to the third heaven, beyond the sky, beyond outer space, into the presence of of God himself. And Jesus gives John a message, a revelation. It's one revelation. That's why there's no S on the end of the book of Revelation. It is one revelation that God has given John. And the church at this time, you have to remember, is just several decades old. And John is addressing a, a much smaller region of churches. And there's a letter for all seven of them. And, and each letter has some uniquenesses that I believe we'll be able to find some practical application for us right here at Dover Christian Church as a church family and individually as followers of Christ. Today, I've titled uh, the message, One Word, New. New. It's a great time of the year to talk about things that are new. As students prepare uh, to head off to school or to college, those finishing college and have new jobs to start, uh, this is a time of, of newness. Do you ever see an old picture of yourself and maybe you still have the shirt that you're wearing in the picture and you still wear that shirt from time to time? I'm real OCD about things and when my clothes come out of the dryer, I wish, my son went off to college yeah, uh, Friday. Uh, if he was here, he would appreciate this because he teases me about it ruthlessly, but I'm very OCD about things. When my clothes come out of the dryer, they go in on the left and they make their way across to the right, and when they get to the far right, that's how I know uh, when to wear them. I'm wearing this yellow Columbia uh, swimming shirt or fishing shirt today because it was on the far uh, right side of my closet. And that causes you to have shirts for many, many years. I've been this tall since the eighth grade. There have been other physical changes that have happened along the way that have necessitated uh, some of my clothing going into retirement. But for the most part, I can still, you know, there are clothes that I can still wear. But when you see these clothes in, in a picture and the colors are vibrant and you realize, oh my goodness, maybe it's time that I share that shirt with someone else through maybe the goodwill or something. Because what once was a, a bright red is now a light mauve, maybe. <laughs> that can happen with a lot of things in life. Uh, the new car smell fades and uh, we drive around the old car. Or, uh, we sing a new song and we're excited about it. And we can't get enough of it. But after a while, the radio stations play it so much that we get tired of it. And for a lot of us today, we can remember back when we were brand new to Christianity. Back when we first believed. Back when our hair was still wet from baptism. Back when we would hear songs or hymns for the first time and they came to life to us where now we can hear them and they go right over our heads because we've become kind of numb to the familiarity of them. How's your faith today? 
If you were to take your spiritual pulse, how, how are you doing as an individual follower of Christ? How is your, your fire, your zeal, your passion for Christ? Is it a little stale? Or would you say it is as vibrant as it was when you walked the aisle and confessed faith in Christ and someone baptized you? For most of us, we long for that day that we could get back to that time in which our faith was brand new. And for those of you who have grown up in the church your whole life, you know, you, maybe you were born on a Monday, and that Sunday your parents had you in the nursery at church, and you don't remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus, and, and you grew up singing songs about Jesus as a small child in vacation Bible schools and church camps and, and all the way through it. And at some point in your life, though, right, you had to make a personal decision to accept or to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there are times where we were on the mountaintop. There were times when, when we prayed to Jesus, it was like we were talking to someone that we could look right in the eyes. There were times when we would read the Bible and his words would come off the page as if it was a love letter directly from God to us. But then there are times, and maybe you're in one of those right now, where there is somewhat of a spiritual lull or a malaise, a numbness, a dullness. How can we get back to that new I believe that you can have that new faith excitement again if you go back to start. And that's the command that Jesus has for us in these first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2. It's really a behavioral thing. Jesus' message for the church at Ephesus was to do the things they did at first. We're not talking about emotions. We're not talking about a feeling. We're talking about looking back to that past, back when it was brand new, and we're making a list, a list of the things that we did when faith was brand new. How did we act then versus now? Here's what, here's what uh, Jesus says to have John write. He says, "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus write." The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus starts off with the words, I know. I know. Isn't it great that Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts? Now, sometimes it's good, <laughs> and sometimes we'd rather not, you know? If you kind of compartmentalize your faith and there are times in which the fire is burning bright and you're happy for God to see you singing his praises and, 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 and being present in church and giving to the poor and loving your, your spouse and being a, a, a godly parent to your children, we kind of want to be caught in those good seasons. But sometimes it can be painful for what 
God knows about us. But this is a good thing. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patience. Three things. He goes, I know the kind of deeds that you do. I know about the good things that you're doing. Check. That's wonderful. And I know how hard you work at them. You toil. That's great. And I know about your, your endurance and your patience, and that's great. You can kind of feel it coming, can't you? That comma, but. <laughs> I know all these wonderful things about you, but this I have against you. And it's fairly serious. Here are some things, five things quickly, that I, I gather from, uh, from those first verses in Revelation 2. First is get over boredom. If you feel a spiritual numbness, a dullness, it's not okay. And it's up to you, and if I, when I feel that way, it's up to me, that we get over that boredom. It's not okay to, to just be satisfied with the status quo spiritually. You wouldn't accept that with your spouse. Imagine having a, a spouse and there's no love in the relationship. There's no fire. There's no intimacy. There's no conversation. There's no shared experiences. We'd do something about that. We wouldn't be okay with it and just go through the status quo. We wouldn't have a, a best friend who never returned our calls and, and never did anything with us, didn't go to the game or the the NASCAR race or, or the movie didn't come to our kids' activities. We, we would eventually disassociate ourselves with someone that did not spend time with us. And God is jealous for a relationship with you. One of my greatest mentors ever, Dr. John Caldwell, wrote a book on discipleship, and he titled it Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. And the late Tony Trapp uh, described intimacy as into me see. It's letting God see into the deepest part of you. That's intimacy with God. Into me see every nook and cranny of my life. You can have that newness again, but it's up to you. It's up to you to not be satisfied with boredom. The first church to receive a letter was the church in the city of Ephesus. And the Christians living in Ephesus faced three threats to their Christian fire. One, the biggest threat to Christianity, I think, for Christians, is that of comfort. You'd think it'd be just the opposite, right? That if you have all kinds of luxury and everything's going on fine around you and the economy's good and, and the politics is good that enables you and allows you to freely express your faith and to attend the church of your choice and you can, you can go online, you can go to an, a free app and you can go to a Bible bookstore and you can get any Bible and any translation you want. If you do it online, you can do it for free and you can even hit the speaker icon and it'll read it to you. We are so spoiled. If a person was starving to death at a smorgasbord, we'd call that anorexia. And for some of us, we have a spiritual eating disorder in which we are surrounded by all this opportunity to get over our boredom and to get serious about our faith, and yet we choose not to. Economically, Ephesus was the largest commercial city in all of Asia Minor, and it was the capital of the province of Asia. They had independence from Rome, which not everyone enjoyed, and they had an autonomous government. Ephesus had no excuse for drifting away from God. And we have it really good here in America, and we should be very grateful for all that we have and use those freedoms 
and prosperity to enable us to grow closer to God, not get distracted from him. When you think of the blessings that you enjoy and the prosperity that you have, do they draw you closer to him or do they distract you from him? Because ultimately you're in the driver's seat of choosing what impact those have. Another threat to the Ephesian Christians was that they faced pagan worship all around them. Christianity was new, it was exciting, but once the newness wore off, there was the tendency to want to slip back into the familiar old ways of worshiping the false gods. Ephesus was the renowned home of the cult of the great mother goddess Artemis. And so here these Christians were. Christianity, you know, it wasn't like it was multi-generational and had been around for generations and generations and generations like you and I enjoy it today. But yet it was also uh, not new enough that it wasn't still exciting. The excitement had wore off, the newness had wore off, and it was kind of a fledgling uh, movement. The, The third threat that they faced was time. And so... So as that fire began to drift a little bit, they didn't know what to do with this boredom. The Apostle Paul had spent three years with the Ephesian Christians. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were so grounded in faith. They had such a great start, such a a great foundation theologically. The second thing that I get from this passage is that we need to focus on the positive One of my five strengths is positivity. Um, I don't mean to be, you know, but I just just think positively (laughs) about things. Um, And there are things, no matter how dire they may seem, there are things that are positive going on in your church and in your personal walk with Christ. And I think, it's, I think there is a benefit to, it's advantageous to, to recognize those. The Ephesians received some good marks from Jesus. He starts with them and he ends with them in this short memo. Um, one is that they are on top of their theological game. They do not fall for those who are false prophets masquerading uh, as, as apostles. And they... They're not skeptical, and they, they examine them to make sure that what they're teaching is sound. And Christian discipleship is the product of both head knowledge and heart knowledge. They knew it, but they didn't know him. They knew the truth, they knew the teaching, they knew the theology, but they didn't seem to have that, that loving feeling. They had lost it over time, and they were not following Jesus intimately like they once did. But still, it was worth mentioning at the beginning and at the end of this memo from Jesus through John to the Ephesians that they were doing well in that regard. My guess is that you, if you feel burned out spiritually right now, there are some really good things that Jesus is doing in your life that maybe you're not celebrating. Maybe you feel stale. But if you really think about it, you could identify some God things going on in your life. And I'd encourage you this afternoon to write down some of those things, to celebrate for a moment. If you were to receive a letter from Jesus, what might some of those positive things be? I know he would say this about you. What does he know about you that's good? If Jesus were to send a letter to Dover, he'd no doubt be able to commend us on having several people from our congregation go on one of two short-term missions trips this year. 
He would commend us on the fellowship that we recently enjoyed with Jamestown Christian Church in a co-ed softball game. He would commend us on the meals that are taken to families in our church who have recently dealt with illness, including cards and flowers and phone calls. And I'd know he'd commend many of you on the way that you pray for each other. He'd commend us for the meat given out through our participation in Love, Inc. as one of their so-called gap churches and to the group of men serving to put a roof on a home of one of those neighbors yesterday. A project, as I understand, uh, is unfinished and is open for more volunteers. As a pastor, I regularly find out or overhear or know about those love one another things that go on in our church. I can't always share them. People don't always boast or brag about the things that they do. But it's heartwarming to see that kind of love that takes place. And the really cool thing is Jesus knows all of it. So focus on the positive. The third thing is remember the beginning. For those of you who were believers in Jesus since before you could even remember, there may be a craving for some level of fire that you had at a week of church camp or at a CIY event or maybe a revival or a promise keepers gathering or a fourth musketeer experience and you hunger for that feeling again, that, that mountaintop experience with God. Remember how you treated your car when it was brand new? You maybe put a cover over the back seat. <laughs> you kept a small waste bag hanging from something on the dash to put bubblegum wrappers in. Uh, you forbid anyone to eat in your car. You cleaned it with approved brand name products only. You kept it in the garage. You followed the little chart that the, the dealership gave you as far as uh, uh, maintenance. You parked it in the back of a parking lot at Walmart and maybe even diagonal. But once that new car smell wears off and there's a mystery ding in the door and the last payment has been made, that's before you took Dave Ramsey's course, uh, <laughs> things change. You start treating it differently, right? I mean, it's not long before there's a, a furry French fry hanging around at your feet on the floorboard. <laughs> that's at no danger, no threat of being uh, in the line of any vacuum cleaner hose. <laughs> Students at the beginning of the school year wear new clothes, take time to style their hair just right, they get up extra early in the morning, they have everything they need for class, such as sharpened pencils, and you don't have to wake them up twice to get going because it's new. And for those of us who have been followers of Christ, and, and later in life, we find ourselves not experiencing that newness. What we need to do is go back to the way things were at the beginning. What did you do when your faith was new? Here are a couple of motivators, the fourth and fifth things, that uh, I find in this passage. And that is, four, consider the consequences, and five, go for the prize. The word repent simply means to stop, turn around, and go the opposite direction. It means... Go back. <laughs> You've gone too far, go back. Or you're going the wrong direction and you need to turn around and go the opposite direction and go back. And we have that here in this passage. 
The word repent means turn around, stop. If you are in the midst of a boring, dull walk with Christ, stop. Don't be satisfied with that. Don't keep going that direction. There's too much at stake. Consider the consequences. We often think of repentance with regard to stopping outright sins that we commit. If you're stealing, stop stealing. If you're gossiping, stop talking badly behind people's backs. If you're lusting over images you see on the internet, stop looking at them. But there are also sins of omission. Those are the things that we ought to be doing, but we aren't doing, and we need to start doing. Maybe there are some things that we need to stop and repent and turn around and go back to the beginning, go back to start and start doing again. The problem is that we often rely on our emotions or the latest fads to satisfy our quest for closeness to God. We think that the right author will kick our tails and fill our hearts with conviction, but we just can't find it. We blame it on the books. We rely on the next big spiritual event coming to town or the big concert or the big, the big revival. That's going to that's gonna be what it's going to take, we think. Or we think if we just listen to the right podcast or we attend the trendiest worship service, that'll suddenly feel, we'll feel that loving feeling that we once felt with Jesus and we're relying on things and programs and other people. When, when we're in the driver's seat of this life, this one that each one of us has, and it's up to us to turn around and go back to the beginning and do the things we did at first. The fact is, God's already filled you with his Holy Spirit. A 45-year-old man doesn't need to have his mom come and spood feed him to make him full again. He needs to learn to feed himself. (laughs) And if you're a born-again baptized believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to, to feed yourself and to grow spiritually. One of our discipleship steps here at Dover is to grow individually and with others. Are you reading your Bible? You attending a growth group? Are you spending time in prayer and talking to God like you would a close friend that you see right in front of you? Are you memorizing scripture and hiding it in your heart? That's something I enjoy doing, but oftentimes I get out of the habit. And it's amazing when I memorize, even in just a short passage of scripture, how many times God will bring that scripture to mind every day and how I'll start to be transformed by it. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when we find ourselves further from him, it is us who have drifted. Um, Finally, go go for that prize. He talks about walking in and around that lampstand. Jesus is very intimate with us and very present with us. He has put his Holy Spirit in us. Recently, I've become more aware of one of the reasons. It's not just for the fruits of the Spirit spirit that we bear, but it's also because he, he desires his Spirit. And if his Spirit's in you, there's this bond with with that rest of the Trinity, with God the Father and the Son, is, is bonded to you because his Holy Spirit's in you. So he longs for his Spirit, and, and now there's this, this connection with you. It's like a GPS monitoring system to have his Holy Spirit in us. Um, we become critical of everything when we are not in the game. Our growth group teacher, our youth coaches, our preachers, our elders, our well-known authors and speakers that we follow... When we take our eyes off the prize, what we really need to do, when we've allowed the new car smell to wear off of our faith, is to repent and do the things we did at first. What would you do 
when your faith was brand new? I was thinking about that even this morning on our way to church. What did I do when my faith was brand new? Uh, that summer, right after I became a Christian, I remember I was working third shift in a grocery store, and I'd get off at 8 a.m. that summer, and I'd come home, and I would be just, I mean, first of all, my I'd be cross-eyed from facing baby food jars, walling those up at the store. Ugh. But, but I would get home, and I'd turn on the only Christian radio station that we had. We didn't have the Internet back then. hadn't been invented yet. I would turn on the radio station, and I'd listen to whatever preacher was on. And I just couldn't get enough of it. I love country music today. I'm a huge fan of country music. But I can remember I just exclusively listened uh, to our version of K-Love at the time because I wanted, to, I wanted to sing the songs. If there was anything going on at church, I wanted to be there because I was passionate about it. We, our actions so often are an indication of what's going on inside of our hearts. I'm not talking about that non-transforming, fake-it-till-you-make-it philosophy. I'm talking about the indications, the things that we, that we do because we are saved. When Shauna and I were first dating, I'd, uh, I'd leave early enough, lived 40 minutes away from her parents' home, I'd leave early enough to arrive to her parents' home about 20 minutes early. And, and there was a car wash nearby, and I'd use that extra time to take my car through the car wash, and I'd spend the extra 25 cents for the air freshener cherry, and I'd spray that all over the carpet on her side. <laughs> you know. And I would stop at the little food mart there down the street from her parents' house, and I'd get me a fresh pack of gum, and I'd open the car door for her, and I would think of every moment of that night with her in mind. What's her favorite kind of restaurant? What's her favorite kind of entertainment? I was in love. I had it bad, and I was ate up with it. And, uh, you know, you think about it when you... Um, you go to a restaurant, you see a couple sitting on the same side of the booth, and they're staring into each other's eyes, sneaking an occasional kiss, seemingly unaware that anyone else is in the restaurant. What do you think? <laughs> Newlyweds, right? <laughs> you see them sitting on the opposite side of the table, each looking off in a different direction with nothing to talk about. Oh, married with children, you know, been, been married a long time. A few decades are behind them, right? They've lost that, that loving feeling. And sometimes, not only in our marriages here on earth, we need to repent and do the things we did at first. But when you think of Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride, sometimes we need to look back and say, what did we do at first? And do those things, the things we did when marriage was brand new. What was it like when you first became a part of his bride? But it ends positively as it began positively. All of us have great things going on that God's doing through us, and I think we should celebrate those. Always keep our eyes on the prize. We're born again into Jesus Christ, and we matter to God. That's huge, and we should be grateful for that intimacy with God. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your amazing love. I thank you, Lord, that we belong to you. I thank you, God, that you accept us just as we are. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit in each one of us. That, God, not only do we crave this new feeling 
this new intimacy with you that, that happens when our faith was brand new. But God, you crave that with us as well. And so, God, with that being your desire as well, and with your Holy Spirit in us, God, we call on you today and we ask you, draw us closer to you. Hear our words, Lord. We are not here to just sing songs with each other or to entertain anyone in a seat. But, God, we are all here to be performers of worship and to praise you with everything that we have. And so, God, I pray that you would be glorified today by your church and by each individual Christian. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work in and among us today. And God, if there's anyone here that does not know your son as their Savior, as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would give them the humility that they need to overcome the pride, to submit to you, and the courage, God, to make that step, that they might get to experience that new faith of a new believer. We pray in Jesus' name.